Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitmiles.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. He is risen. Amen. He is. It is good to be with you today. Listen, if y'all come back next week, we're going to have to blow a wall out. It's not a bad problem to have. Hey, what powerful words to mark this day. He has risen. He is not here. He is alive. He is alive. Those words should mean everything to us. Everything to us. For if Christ did not raise from the dead, if the tomb was not empty, then our faith indeed would be. You know that the entirety of our faith, our Christian way of life, how we live as believers, rests on the very linchpin of the resurrection. Have you ever seen a linchpin before? Do you know what it does? It's basically a glorified nail. It is a metal rod. It is simple in design and concept, but it is, its purpose is far greater. A linchpin is passed to the end of an axle or any matter of shaft, really, to keep a spinning wheel or moving parts in proper position so that it functions well. That picture, I think, is a poignant one for us today. An axle is typically supporting thousands of pounds of weight and force. It is moving and twisting, and it is held together by one small piece of metal rod that has no moving parts. Its design is simple, but its purpose is critical. And while the implications of the resurrection are anything but simple, the resurrection itself is indeed a very simple concept that holds exceptional weight. As we consider the immensity of life as we know it, of good and evil, the purpose of man and the truth of the gospel, all of it is held together by one act of the resurrection. Simply put, he's either dead or he's not. As modern-day believers, we know Jesus' bodily resurrection to be a reality based off of eyewitness accounts and overwhelming historical evidence. But for those first followers of Jesus, it was an agonizing period of waiting, unsure of what the future held, wondering that perhaps they misunderstood who He actually was. For the man who said that He was the resurrection and the life, He was lifeless in a tomb. Those days before Sunday felt empty. Emptiness in our broken world, it's an altogether well-known feeling, is it not? Too many unmet expectations, difficult getting ahead, fractured relationships, failed initiatives, and broken promises perpetuate a lack of true fulfillment. Where do you find yourself this morning? Are you empty? At the end? Hopeless, unsure, unfulfilled? The big question, can God be trusted? I have good news for you. <laughs> I have good news for you. It's the third day. It's the third day. Sunday is here. He is risen. And I'm here to tell you and inform you that the very fact that the tomb is empty assures us that God's promises are not. God's promises are not empty this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for Easter Sunday morning the promise of a risen Savior that we might have life in His name. 
God, speak to us by your word this morning. We are here to worship you, to celebrate our new life through Jesus Christ. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. I encourage you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 20 today. We're actually going to be reading the whole chapter, all 31 verses. We're going to be working through that in sections, but we are going to be tackling the whole chapter. Um, We're going to begin with Mary being the first to discover the empty tomb. So John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, we'll read the first uh, 10 verses. If you need a Bible this morning, there should be one that is close to you, maybe under the seats uh, in front of you to the left, to the right. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, the empty tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. In verse 10, the disciples went back to where they were staying. This is the word of the Lord. So our scene opens, and Mary Magdalene, who is still in mourning, is arriving at the tomb early in the morning, and the massive stone she sees probably pretty immediately has been moved. The tomb was empty, she obviously saw, and so she runs back to find Peter and the other disciple, which is how John refers to himself throughout his gospel, or the disciple that Jesus loved. How humble of him. Uh, They obviously believed Mary, but wanted to see it for themselves, trust but verify. So no doubt being driven by their concern for Jesus, off they go, they run to the tomb. John sneaks in the fact that he is faster than Peter, but Peter enters the tomb first and then followed by John. They see the cloth that Jesus had been wrapped in, just as Mary said, the tomb is empty, no Jesus, he is not there. Verse 8 and 9, I think, give us a unique look into the, to the minds of the disciples, what they were feeling or thinking. So finally, the other disciple, verse 8, who had reached the tom- tomb first, John, also went inside. He saw and believed. Well, what did he see? He saw the grave clothes lying there, just as they would have been exactly contoured as if a body was still laying there. However, there was no body. See, the way that this is written indicates that the head cloth was still appropriately wrapped together, turban-like, and separate from the rest of the linen that would have been wrapped around the body. The reality of all of this now, the removed stone, the clothes remaining in perfect order, the blatantly obvious empty tomb begins to grip John, and Scripture says that he saw and believed Believed what? Believed that Jesus had been resurrected. 
See, if a grave robber had come and taken the body, he would have taken the clothes with him. The clothes were still lying there, perfectly intact. Jesus had resurrected and left that stuff behind. Verse 9, however, says that they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So although the undeniable evidence in front of them led them to an accurate conclusion that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead, we still see that they didn't understand the full meaning of what the empty tomb meant. Despite their knowledge of their Jewish Scriptures, everything they had learned, and the help of Jesus' teaching, Despite all of that, the great implications of a once dead but now alive Jesus was still not fully known to them yet. At this point, they're simply trying to take in the fact that their master and their friend who had been brutally murdered and placed in a tomb was now obviously no longer held down by those earthly limitations. No doubt that as they returned to where they were staying, these things were discussed in great detail, much along the way. So let's continue in verse 11, our narrative here. This is sometime later in the day. Mary now stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will get him. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. Don't you just love that? I love that. He just had to say her name. When Jesus calls your name, things change. Amen? So she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, recognizing him now, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Notice the pattern in these verses in this passage. Called by Christ, Mary, sent out by Christ, go to my brothers, witness of Christ, I have seen the Lord. You'll find that pattern, in fact, the very ethos of what it means to be a Christian throughout Scripture, called by Christ, sent out to be a witness. That hasn't changed, by the way. Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And and with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, 
There is much to unpack in these five verses that I want to come back to after we finish our narrative. But some brief observations here just through those uh, few verses. One, Jesus' glorified resurrected body allows him apparently to enter places that are locked. So that's cool. Uh, Second, Jesus repeats the phrase, peace be with you. And then he does it a third time in the next few verses. Peace be with you. Third, Jesus is showing them his wounds. He's proving that he was the Jesus that they had been so close with, whose torture they had witnessed, beatings and, and nails driven through his hands. They had seen him die. And so here he is in resurrected form, showing himself to them. We continue to read in verse 24. Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. There's that witness again. And he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Thomas said to him, oh, I skipped a piece here. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, doing it again here, and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. If you can hear me today, you need to know right now that there is blessing available for you this morning. New life for you this morning. You who have not seen yet have faith to believe. For the very fact that the tomb is empty assures us that God's promises are not. The empty tomb assures us God's promises are not. What are the promises of God? What has God promised us? For that, I want us to start by looking back at verses 19 through 23. I mentioned that we would revisit this part of the story. Jesus is meeting with his disciples in resurrected form, and he reveals what I believe to be a summary of God's promises to those who believe. Let's read it again, verse 19. Okay, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, He showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, verse 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are indeed forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I think there are four things in in these five verses here that Jesus reveals to his disciples, and really to us. 
that I think can be a summary of God's promises to us. He reveals his peace. Three times in this passage, Jesus either greets or he engages his disciples with peace be with you. That's a common enough greeting for the Jews and most definitely an attempt to help calm their nerves at seeing a resurrected Jesus who can walk through walls. But I don't think it can be understated that peace is the thing that he is communicating early and often after his resurrection directly to those who follow him. Peace. Here I I am. Peace be with you. God promises peace to the believer. And there's a few different ideas to the word peace, especially in our relationship with God. We've touched on these before. But most directly, we receive peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God. Let's talk about that. Because of our sin, this is the gospel. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. Enemies even, Scripture says, in rebellion and warring against Him in our sinful state. This rightfully earns for us the penalty of death because God is holy and we are not. But as I mentioned last week, in a scandal of grace that only God could pull off, He sent Jesus to die in our place in order that the enemy He came to remove, you and I, was the very enemy He came to save. Because Christ died in our place and by our believing in Him, we can now be at peace with God. No longer deserving of His righteous anger towards sin. Well, about the peace of God. There's also a very real sense of, of, deep, of a deep sustaining calm that resides in the heart of the one who knows, who knows they have been justified and that they are united with the God who holds the keys to life itself. He is our comforter and our sustainer despite how difficult our circumstances become. I serve a God who controls death and beat death. That should comfort me and bring me peace. Another promise that Jesus reveals here is His presence. Very simply, I said this earlier, we don't serve a dead guy. Our prophet, our teacher, didn't die and stay dead. He is very much alive. The tomb is not still sealed. His body was never produced. He's alive. And he walks with us today. Talked with him this morning, to borrow a Dan Miller. Received the Holy Spirit, he said to them, promising them that he would always be with them through his Holy Spirit. Jesus promised them and us his presence. Closely tied, I think, with his presence through his Spirit is his power. His power. We know that from grander context, and shortly after this, Jesus ascends into heaven. And he tells them before he goes to go wait for the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the one who would always be with them, his spirit with them, that would guide them in all truth. He would remind them of everything Jesus had taught them. He would empower them with gifts and abilities to heal and to teach that they might be proper witnesses of who Jesus was to the world around them. That's power. Jesus promised power receive the Holy Spirit. And he also promised purpose. Again, I'm channeling my inner Pastor Dan this morning with this alliteration. All the P's today. Purpose. I am sending you, he said. 
And although the wording seems a bit funny here in this verse, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The idea being communicated here with this sentence structure is a, is a commissioning to proclaim the forgiveness of sins found only in Christ. That's what he's saying. And his new life is producing in them a new purpose. We are being promised a new purpose. These four things that Jesus reveals in these, these verses here, peace, presence, power, and purpose, these things can become ours. They are promises to us, promises that we know He can make good on. The proof of that's the empty tomb. You need to understand this morning, I think that these, these four promises, peace, presence, power, and purpose, these four promises are really part of Rather, they, they are the experience of a bigger promise, the ultimate promise secured by the empty tomb. Did you catch it earlier in verse 31? But these are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, here it is, you may have life in His name. Life. By believing that He is the Messiah, believing He is the Son of God, you will have life and have life everlasting. Life unto the age, it's translated. Hebrews 9.15, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That new relationship with God that we have now. That those who are called may receive the promised, promised eternal inheritance. 1 John 2, 24 and 25, as for you, see that you, do, you have heard See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life, everlasting life. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus Himself says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in Me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. We're talking about more than just eternal life here. This is a big part of this, but this eternal life that is saved unto God is one where we have been ransomed to live with Him in heaven forever, but also have new life now while on the earth. I can't. Whew. Jesus is our wholeness. His life becomes ours. While we face challenges and difficulty in this broken world and life, we are not left empty. We have been given fullness. We are whole because Christ is whole. And it is within that new life that we have His peace, His presence, His power, and His purpose. His peace becomes ours to comfort and sustain us. His presence His presence becomes ours to reveal Him to the world. His power becomes ours to live obedient lives. His purpose becomes ours for the salvation of men. For as we have tasted forgiveness in salvation, we share it with the world. All of this is possible because of the resurrection. The proof of the resurrection is that sealed and guarded tomb is no longer sealed. 
It is no longer guarded. It is empty, empty, empty. I'm going to invite the worship team to come help us finish out our time together. We're going to respond to the word with worship here in a moment. But I want you to stay with me here. Never in the history of mankind has there ever been a man like Jesus. Fulfilling hundreds of prophecies while living on the earth. Performing miracles, prophesying himself about his death and his resurrection down to the specific amount of time in between. Who does that? Jesus, who died, was dead, fully unalive, then came back to life three days later, appearing to many and leaving an empty tomb behind him. Let me tell you something. The empty tomb means that you don't have to be. The empty tomb means that you don't have to be and that God's promises are true. 2 Corinthians 1.18, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What is to come is the ultimate promise made to us, life everlasting, eternity with God in heaven. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he wrote a check for eternal life, signed in blood by God himself. The now empty tomb means you can take that check to the bank and it ain't gonna bounce. Have you received that free gift of salvation yet? Have you received everlasting life? Have you been saved from sin? Do you have peace with God today? Do you have his presence? Do you have power for living? Do you have purpose in your life? If not, you can this morning. You can this morning. Scripture is very clear that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And there are two pieces there. Repentance and belief. Declaring that Jesus is Lord, that is repentance. It is recognizing your sin in contrast with his holiness and choosing his way instead of your own. Jesus is Lord, not me. That is repentance. And then believing, believing that he is the Messiah, God's son, and that his death covered your sin and his resurrection can mean your new life. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Today's a great day to be saved. In 1820, a man named Gregor McGregor, how's that for a name? 
He arrived in London announcing that he was the prince of a country called Poyas in Central America. London's elite were enamored by his charm and invited him to social gatherings where he asked for investors and citizens to help colonize Poyas. He described the country as a fertile region with untapped gold and silver mines just waiting to be settled. People flocked to buy land and soon two ships loaded with colonists set out for Poyas. But when they arrived in Central America, Poyas was nowhere to be found. Only jungle. McGregor had conned them all, convincing them that he was a prince, promising them land in a country that didn't exist. Weakened from the journey with no civilization to treat their illnesses, nearly 200 settlers died because of McGregor's hopes. You want to know the difference between McGregor and Jesus? Jesus made good on his promise. You see, it's not enough to promise spectacular things. You have to make good on them. And his resurrection from the dead was the sure proof that he was indeed the Son of God, who he claimed to be our only hope and only salvation. Listen, at some point, each one of us has to reconcile with who Jesus is, who we are going to believe Jesus was. He was a real man that walked the earth. He was either a crazy person or he was who he said he was. He said he was God. They killed him. And then he came back to life. Do you know anyone else who can do that? But God himself? And then that very man who is also fully God looks at you, calls you by name, and says, follow me. It's going to mean laying down what you want, your desires, what you want to do, your willingness to, to, to lay down who you are in response to who he is, knowing that his way is the more fulfilling way, the better way, the way that is filled with fulfillment in life. But each of us has to come to grips with that at some point in our life. If you haven't done that yet this morning, you can do that. Salvation is available to you. So this Easter, let the reality of the empty tomb remind you that newness of life is available to you both now and forever. We repent of sin, we believe in his name, and we will have life, life everlasting. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you today for your goodness and your mercy to us. That you had a plan that although your creation walked away from you, chose ourselves instead of you, you had a plan to save us, to ransom us to heaven. Back to yourself, made whole only in you. Jesus, we praise you for that today. God, I ask that right now, if there's someone here that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that you would, that you would make it so clear to them that you are knocking on that door, waiting for them to open the door. That by your grace, you are desiring to save them. That they simply need to turn and acknowledge you as Savior. Oh God, who would you save this morning? God, we thank you for your word. What a gift it is to us. We thank you for the new life that you have given to us through Jesus Christ, your Son. 
the new life that we can have, eternity in heaven, forever praising you for your glory, overwhelmed by your presence. But God, what is not lost on us this morning is that your presence is available to us because of what Jesus has done on the cross by the power of your Holy Spirit in us. We can know you and be intimately connected with you, united with you, having your presence, your purpose, your power. Oh, and God, the peace that comes with all of that. God, as we sing this next song, that we sing of the moment that you arrested death, that you beat death on our behalf, that for, your, for, for our good and for your glory, that we would sing praises to you, ascribe majesty that is only due to you, God. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for the gift of salvation found in no one else but Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.